Darnell Williams at the tailback. They'll hand it off to Williams up the middle. 25. Cuts it inside. 30. 35. 40. There goes Cadillac. To the 50. To the 40. To the 30. To the 20. To the 15. 10. Go crazy, Cadillac. Go crazy. Touchdown. Now they can play a little safer. But they're not going to. Nix is back. Throws it downfield. Caught. Touchdown, Williams. A 20-yard attempt. Josh Harris, the snapper. He'll call to the place. He'll hold it. Byron waits for the snap to the place. There it is. The kick is up. The kick is good. Auburn wins. 22-19. What's going on, everybody? And welcome to another episode of the Auburn Today podcast. As always, my name is Noble. I'm joined here with my co-host, Wheeler. Today, we have a great, great, great slate to talk about. Basketball is in a great spot. Just coming off the win against Alabama, huge win, really fun game. Uh, we have a lot about, you know, football to talk about with the whole Austin Davis situation. We would have loved to talk about signing day, but, you know, didn't really sign anybody as of uh, 104 on signing day. But we'll get into all that. But we're going to start off with the fun part about Auburn sports right now. And Wheeler, just kind of take us through, just take us through really the week. Just kind of take us through the week of Auburn basketball. You know, obviously the last time we were here was on Tuesday. Uh, talked about that Missouri matchup a little bit, but didn't really get super into it. And that kind of caught us all off guard with how, you know, close that game was. Obviously it was not a great performance. Then just kind of through the Big 12 SEC Challenge, Oklahoma game and then really just kind of give us an overview of those games uh, and obviously if you have any burning analysis that you want to share go for it but also uh, and then just kind of walk us through just how we were going into the Alabama game just kind of how your emotions were going through that game just kind of walk us through this week of Auburn basketball and the three game slate that we've had since the uh, since the last podcast so I just want to toot our own horn a little bit here we have brought some really good analysis that has come to pass on the basketball front, okay? So, going into last week, we said, look, Missouri and Oklahoma are games that you should win by, you know, 10 to 15 points, kind of have the game in hand for most of the game and show that you're a pretty dominant team. All right, so on the surface, it looks like that's wrong. But we also said there's going to be a night where this team is ready to play they want to be there. They worked hard. They prepared. They did the scout and everything. And shots just aren't going to fall because that's the game of basketball. I mean, the Golden State Warriors, when they <clears throat> went on their ridiculous season, lost some games that they shouldn't have lost just because you can't shoot great every single night and your team's going to have off nights. The thing was, though, the defense on that night against Missouri was just so good. And they were so prepared and they were so locked in and ready to play that game that they were able to escape Really, a tough environment, tough circumstances where, you know, Wendell goes down, you think that he may be done for the season, so that kind of is a mental defeating thing. He ends up coming back, but still, KD Johnson's able to rise to the occasion. Alan Flanagan had a really tough game, but was able to keep on playing on defense. That was a, just a great win because you saw things happening that had not happened all season. So you saw Wendell having a terrible game uh, because of his injury. That has that had not happened much this season um, up to that point. You see Devin Cambridge coming out of nowhere and becoming Dennis Rodman. 
and honestly saving the game with his offensive boards because we couldn't hit anything. I mean, there was literally a lid on the bucket for us. So and it was also, I mean, the ending of that game was the ugliest finish to a game that I've ever seen in my life. But it honestly just was so perfect for that game because it was ugly, just messy, terrible, but a quality win. Oklahoma game went about as good, you know, exactly like we said it would. We said Walker should be able to take advantage of the slightly smaller Oklahoma. Even though they play a similar style of basketball, we have better athletes. So when you're playing the same style of ball and one team's got better athletes, that team's typically going to win, especially when they're at home. The jungle came. They were rocking. Auburn was honestly able to, I would say, dominate Oklahoma. I mean, that game was – I mean, it was – pretty well in hand for the majority of the game. I mean, Oklahoma would cut it close on a run every now and then, but I wasn't sitting there thinking that Auburn was legit going to lose in the second half. So, I, great performance out of the Oklahoma game. Again, Wendell's coming back. Wendell, I, I still don't know because we watched that day in the life and they called him Wendell. And then now people call him Wendell. We'll just call him Icy Win. <laughs> It's not a matter of if, but when. I love that um, sign. That was a good one. That was a good. That one. was a good sign. Um, so going into the Bama game, you know, you're kind of expecting the whole team had been in a shooting drought, and it was odd because this team is not made up of bad shooters. Like we've played, I think the last two weeks, honestly, since right before the Kentucky game, we've had like five games where we have not shot the ball very well, and. It just came out of nowhere. This is not a bad offensive team, but it, I started to like doubt the fact that they could score in the SEC, and then they come out in this Alabama game, and I mean, what a game. It was the perfect culmination of offense, defense. I mean, everybody honestly had a really good game against Alabama, um, and I did not, I didn't see the game going the way that it did, Because I thought that last time, and I think we said this, Auburn should have beaten Alabama by 20 in Coleman Coliseum. But with like six minutes to go, they start giving up a run. And it's really hard when you're on the road and you're a young team and you got a crowd rocking behind a team making a run to stop it. And they didn't. Uh, They were able to hold on and win the game. But honestly, it was the exact same game as far as the runs. The difference was the crowd uh, for this game. But if you had told me that Quinterly and Shackelford were going to go off. I mean, uh, Shaq couldn't miss. Like, I'm trying to look. He was, at one point, he was 5 of 7 from 3. Now, he ended up 5 of 11, but that's when Auburn took off that huge run is when he finally came down to earth and shot like a normal human. We're literally saying Auburn took off and took a run when he ended up shooting 50% from 3. I mean, that's a really good game to shoot 50% from three. But when you're five of seven from three, like, yeah, your team should not be in a competitive matchup when that's happening. And I mean, or they should be in a competitive game. They shouldn't be getting run. And they weren't. Shackelford, same way. Or, uh, yeah, Quinterly, same way. Had a great game. Scored 20 points on 35 minutes. Like, both of their stars were playing really well. And that's the recipe for Alabama's victories all year. Like, when Shackelford and Quinterly play well, they win games. You look at the Gonzaga game, the Baylor game, the Houston game. They played the exact same game that they played against us, against those teams, and they beat them. And we beat them by 20. Now, we played a really good offensive game, but, I, I mean, 
credit to Bruce, and he said it in the post-game press conference, that kind of the game plan going in and that they saw against Baylor was, this team is good at shooting the three. They're not great at defending down low because they don't have great size down there. And if you kill their cuts to the basket and you basically just pack it in and you take the lumps of them hitting the threes every now and then, because think about it, even on a, he had a great night and he shot 50%. And Bruce was probably fine with that. They probably looked at it and said, as long as he's not shooting 70%, we're going to win the game. Like they don't have, it's not like Auburn when it had Bryce Brown, Jared Harper, uh, Chuma Okiki, where, you know, one through four could hit the three. I mean, Bama kind of has a couple of guys that can hit the three, but they're not super consistent. J.D. Davidson or Davison, everybody said, you know, all the Bama fans on Twitter find, find out that J.D.'s coming out and hyping up the crowd, and the Bama Twitter has the no noise video ready. I don't know. I When I saw that, I was like, Auburn's going to win this game because – JD literally got into a fight with a fan that was telling him to cut his hair. So he clearly cares what the crowd is saying. And when you care what the crowd is saying and you're telling them to, you know, get louder, it's because you're trying to convince yourself that they're not going to play a role. And they clearly played a role. I mean, the guy was honestly awful last night. Like he couldn't do anything. And this is a game where Walker Kessler's not in foul trouble. He ended up with four fouls and they were bad fouls. Like, that one block was so clean. Yeah. He, I mean, he just pinned the ball up against the backboard and they called a foul because it's not, it shouldn't be humanly possible what he did. And he, I mean, he gets those calls sometimes because the refs watching it's like, there's no way he gets a clean block here. And then you're like, oh, he's just a freak show. I mean, he's big and he can move and he has a ridiculous wingspan and is very intelligent with his shot blocking too. Like he's not just, he picks and chooses his spots and he picks and chooses what kind of shot block he's going to go with. He doesn't do the same move every single time that you can get him in foul trouble. You know, I mean, I think Quinterly hit him a couple of times with that lob. He probably got three or four of those lobs and towards the end of the game, Walker started changing the way he covered the lob. You know, he quit trying to hit the lob down at the point where it's leaving his hand. And he was like, if you can take, a lob and throw it over a dude that's seven five wingspan jumping up in the air and you can still make it go in the hoop like tip your cap that's impressive but he couldn't because I mean at some point like the angle is just almost impossible to lob it over somebody that big and consistently hit that so yeah just all around great week the basketball I mean I I think we say this every week I get more and more confident in the basketball team every time I watch them play because they show a new way to win the game. They show a new guy coming out and having his career night, and I feel like they keep growing in confidence. So, yeah, that was a long rant by me. What's your uh, what's your take of the week? I mean, yeah, you know, a lot of it, a lot of it is just kind of exactly what you said. You know, there's really not there's not a ton to say about that Missouri game because honestly, it's just like that's just how basketball works. Like sometimes you're just not gonna shoot well. And that's just that's just how it works, you know. Jabari had his worst game that he, I think, I think probably the worst game he will ever have in college, and we still won. It was the kind of game where it's like, it, it was the kind of game where a lot of people thought that we needed to lose because of the, you know, you come in sometimes you need a loss to take the pressure off of it. We've talked about that, but also, 
having those games and winning is still like it, it's never bad to win a game no matter how bad you've played like road wins are always good wins if you're playing in a power five conference in college basketball road wins are always a good win and honestly it's like you look at it this was something this is something that's really interesting to me if you look at the away records for the the entire sec there are only two teams in the sec with a winning record on the road two teams auburn is one of them six and oh on the road the other one is vanderbilt who's four and three on the road which i thought was just a really weird thing that vanderbilt has one of uh, has a winning record away oh that was very interesting but you look at the home records and this is this is honestly truly insane. Auburn 12 and 0 at home, Kentucky 13 and 0 at home, Tennessee 12 and 0 at home, Mississippi State 12 and 1 at home, Arkansas 12 and 1 at home, Alabama 10 and 1 at home, LSU 11 and 2 at home, A&M 10 and 2 at home, South Carolina 9 and 2 at home. And you just look at it and you're like, "Oh my gosh." Like when you look at how the SEC is, it's just like everyone is a different team at home compared to when they play away and winning those road games is just really good because you're getting the better version of a team and you're getting the best, you know, the best version of that team and you can get the win. It's tough. It's always good to have. And, and like, I mean, it translates to the standings really well having, you know, another conference win. So I just think that that was just kind of something that, you know, you can kind of just gloss over as like, okay, that was an off night. They still found a way to win. And, the important thing is to see how they rebound from that. So you have Oklahoma. They played well, you know, tons of fouls called. That's just how the SEC Big 12 challenge is, especially when Auburn plays in it. Really frustrating game to watch because nobody could really get in a run, and Auburn couldn't really get that kill shot because every time you kind of started getting momentum, tons of fouls, and it just messed everything up, slowed it all down. For the Alabama game, first of all, the environment was – wild and i and i i legitimately think there were moments in the game that were louder the loudest moments of the alabama game were louder than the loudest moments of the kentucky game but kentucky as a whole the game was the game was the loudest honestly this was someone someone texted me someone texted me uh the last night and they asked what the loudest moment of the game was and the one that stuck out to me the most was a really random moment it was in the first half auburn was up by around eight something like that and Alabama was trying to get into their offense and they kind of ran their first their first little movement that didn't work so Shackelford just backs up and is kind of getting his ISO in on Zep and all of a sudden he's sitting back there and he's dribbling and kind of waiting for his screen to come and all of a sudden the arena just goes into a new level of loud and there was no reason like it, it was the kind of thing where it was like you know the the famous picture at the all-star game when it's LeBron is going the ISO on Giannis in the big moment, everybody, all the celebrities courtside sticking their phones out. And that made sense. You know, that, that, it was, it was, it was the best player in the world for years. The new guy, it made sense. Shackelford and Zepp, it just didn't like it, it. If it was like JD and Jabari, it would make sense. And it was like the emotions and it was like, okay, a guy that's, you know, projected first overall pick, a guy that's been a lot of, or, you know, projected NBA guy, five-star against five-star, Auburn against Alabama. That makes sense. But Zepp and Shackelford, it was just a really random thing. But for some reason, the arena went into overdrive. And I think that might be the loudest I've ever heard Auburn Arena. I'm not even kidding. So, yeah, I think that it got reported that it reached 129 decibels at its loudest. And just for context, that is the equivalent to 
a fighter jet taking off of an aircraft carrier. So I mean, that's insane. And, that's pretty and loud. Imagine, and imagine being on an aircraft carrier. And I know that, you know, most of us have probably never experienced that, but you can, you can think of it. Imagine sitting there and you have someone who is about 40 feet away from you trying to yell out a play. And you have to be able to hear the play and direct it to your teammates. It's impossible. It is physically impossible. So that just speaks to the, you know, speaks to the crowd. And honestly, like that's louder than Jordan Hare gets a lot. Like when Jordan Hare is like, you know, they do the little decibel count and it's like before the game, like that's louder. And so it, it really is just, you know, home court advantage in college basketball. You can't speak enough about it because teams when you play at home are just so much better than when you play them on the road or when they're playing on the road. But you look at it. Uh, so obviously, you know, we talked a little bit about Shackelford and Quinterly just go and slap off. I mean, there were times, and Shackelford's sh- uh, shooting percentage look a lot worse because when Auburn went on that, really that late second half run, stretched the lead to 20, and he just started, I mean, they just started giving it to him, and he just started throwing up shots, and it was like, if they fall, they fall. If they don't, they don't. And they didn't. But earlier in the game, they were falling. He could. He was hitting everything. I mean, it was like, this guy cannot miss. And you look at it, Shackelford was incredible for 90% of the game. Quinterly was really solid for a lot of the game. And these are like, these are the game. Like, this is, this is the Alabama that people are like, oh, like when they're on, they can beat anybody. They were on and they lost by 19 points. And like, out, you're not going to, Alabama's not going to play better than they did last night. They're not. Like, there's not. They're not going to play better than how they played Auburn. I remember I texted you. We were texting before the game, and I remember I said, "I think we either win big or we lose close." And you know, obviously, come come back and Auburn won big. But the thing you look at it, and I don't even think Auburn played like this was probably the best offensive showing that we've had all season. But there's still like there are easy places to look where we could have been better, like KD. He was three of nine, one of five from three. Yeah, he had 13 points. He played really well, but he could be better. Allen could be better. Allen had two threes that rimmed out, which also we can talk about Allen in, in a couple moments. We'll we'll gloss on that. But he he definitely played better against Alabama than he did against Oklahoma and Missouri. So it's good to see, you know, kind of that development. It's kind of going up and down. But also the biggest thing is, and I remember someone tweeted it. I can't remember who it was. It was some college basketball analyst. But they tweeted out and said, Alabama's backcourt just combined for 46 points out of their 81. Auburn won the game by 19 and scored 100 points while only making five threes. We shot 24% from three, only made five. And the rest were twos. I mean, that is really, really impressive and really difficult to do. I mean, Auburn shot 49% from two or from the field goal percentage compared to Alabama's 36. And that was the real, I mean, that's one of the real dividers in the game is just how efficient Auburn was shooting from two. But I mean, man, it was just, it was just the kind of game. And Jabari, I mean, Jabari only played 24 minutes. I mean, that's the thing. It was like so many things. And, you know, I feel like a broken record and we just keep talking about like how, how dynamic this team is and how they can beat you in so many ways. But it's just so true. And you just sit there and you're like, wow, like Alabama just played one of their best games all season and we just ran them out of the building. 
and we could have played better. And so it's getting to the point that, you know, we, we were talking, we, we've talked a little bit, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago about kind of what the realistic expectations are for this team. If this team doesn't win a national championship, everyone will feel like their expectations were not met. Like, I feel like every fan that has watched every game and has been involved in the basketball program expects a national championship or at least a final four. And when we're, we're starting to get to the point that if we lose in the elite eight or even the final four, people are going to be disappointed because they're like, dang, like we expected more. And on one hand, like that's insane. Like that, it's crazy. You know, in 2019, we were so happy to be in the final four and yeah, we lost. It was heartbreaking and everybody was, you know, really depressed about it. But at the end of the day, we were like, okay, we just made the final four. Like that was really cool. Like we put the banner up. We're like, we just made the final four. That's dope. We're still talking about it with this year. I think that it's not like if we make the final four and we don't win it, it's not going to be the same, you know, feel good feeling. It's going to be like, we should have won a national championship that season. So either what are your, uh, just kind of what are your thoughts in response to, to my little, my little uh, rant that I just went on? Yeah, I think, uh, I think it's hard in basketball because your expect your expectations can easily not be met and it just be because of one off night. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not like college football where if your expectations for the season aren't met, it was multiple games that you messed up in, you know, because it's, it's weird. The regular season games mean so much more in college football, but they also, there's so much more room for error to win a championship. Well, and there are 22 guys, you know? So it's like, okay, if one guy's having an off night, you can lean on other people. But when you really only have the five guys that are starting, if two guys have – I mean, if all of a sudden Jabari and Walker have their worst games of the season in the tournament, it'd be a tough sled to be anybody that is a really good team. I, I say from the second weekend on, yes. I think this team yeah. can beat anyone in the first weekend with – I mean, look. Alabama is a first, potentially a second weekend team. And last night, the bench had 44 points out of 100. So, I mean, for real, they almost scored half as much as the starters did. So, you know, I, I think on the lesser teams, we can get away with it. And I think that's the comforting thing, is this team is not going to be the type like Kansas and sometimes, honestly, those Duke teams that make the tournament – they win the ACC because they have a dominant player that gets them there, and then the guy has an off night in the round of 32 and they lose. We don't have that dominant player, and the odds that everybody is just going to choke all at once like they did against Missouri in a NCAA tournament. Because think about it, in the NCAA tournament, the crowd's not going to be anti-Auburn like it was at Missouri. Like It's going to be probably 50-50 depending on who you're playing, maybe the other team might have a few more fans and where they're from. It's not going to be hostile like the Missouri game. So I, I just don't see a first weekend exit. Sweet 16 on, though, like I don't care how good you are. You're playing a top 16 team in the country. Like, yeah. I think, honestly, the easiest way for Auburn to get to the Elite Eight Final Four is winning your easy games in the round of 64, round of 32, and then hoping that you get a Cinderella that you're playing 
Because everybody loves a Cinderella story, but when you have a week to prepare for a Cinderella and you know who they are, like there's a reason those teams typically don't make the Elite Eight. A lot of Cinderellas make it to the Sweet 16 because you catch a team that didn't didn't really look at you that hard in the first game. In the second game, they had two days to prepare for you. Auburn is not going to be like Auburn's not going to lose to a team that's bad. Like they're they're not going to lose to a 12 seed in the Sweet 16. That's not going to happen. So, no, I I agree with you. I think the expectation is a national championship. I think anything less than that is a bust. But I also don't think that you should not celebrate if you make the Elite Eight or the Final Four yeah. because that's still really difficult to do in college basketball. Like Coach Cal and in Kentucky, they don't do that very often. Now, that might be an indication on Coach Cal and maybe that he's not as good as he thinks he is. Same with Mike Krzyzewski, though. I mean, dude is a legendary, one of the best basketball coaches to ever, you know, coach the game. And he won a lot earlier in his career, but kind of as basketball is becoming more of a national sport, he struggled a little bit to continue that reign of dominance. Even Gonzaga. Gonzaga won all of their games and still didn't win a national championship last year. Like, it is really, really hard to win a national championship in college. I think it's the most difficult thing to win a national championship in. Because it is. It all comes down to one night, honestly. where And it all comes down to one night like six times. Whereas yeah. in football, it comes down to one night twice. So you got two games that you got to get up for and not choke on instead of all of those games. And that's including the SEC tournament. I think I'd... I mean, this team, I think the expectation should be they win the SEC regular season, and we'll talk about that in a second. And, you know, I'm going to say something that a lot of fans are going to hate, and you probably will too. But win the SEC regular season, SEC tournament's going to be really difficult to win. And I really, I don't want to play Alabama again. Like, I do because I think we'd beat them, but also don't because it's just fun that we got to sweep them and do all this. I, I don't want to have to play them again. Because that didn't go well last time. But also the team got kind of destroyed by injuries after <laughs> before yeah, the I mean, SEC I, tournament. I, I think that that team is just kind of a, uh, you know, that team is kind of a, a unique thing. I think that was a strange season, but yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, honestly, I think it'd be fun to play Kentucky again. I think just because I think it's it'd be a fun game to watch. Ty Ty Washington at full strength against Auburn. Even if we did, I just think it'd be a fun game to watch as a college basketball fan. And I think I'd rather win the SEC regular season than win the SEC tournament. But that's just me. Uh, See, it, it's a weird thing because it's like people care about the tournament more, which is strange because the regular season's harder. That's, that's the thing that I, I never really understood is that the regular season, it is night in, night out. You have to have sustained success. Whereas the tournament, you can just get hot. But the tournament, I guess it's just the excitement of it's the tournament. It's the tournament style. You have, you know, the trophy on the neutral court. I don't know what it is, but it's just people get more excited about the tournament. But, I mean, the regular season, you still get a banner. And it, in my opinion, it means more than winning the tournament. Yeah, I agree. So, I'm excited. But, you know, kind of going on to that next thing. I was telling you before we got on the air that right now, our best friends, as of, you know, Wednesday, February 2nd, before the Arkansas-Georgia game has tipped, 
our best two friends in the SEC are Georgia and Alabama. Now, after tonight, our best friend will not be Georgia, but will be Alabama. Here's why. Right now, the two teams that are really competing with Auburn for the SEC regular season title are Arkansas and Kentucky. I mean, mathematically, there are other teams that are still technically in it, but just looking ahead at Auburn's schedule and how they've played so far, it would be a cataclysmic collapse if any of any team other than Arkansas or Kentucky beat out Auburn for the SEC regular season title. Arkansas plays Georgia tonight at Georgia. I have very, very low hope that Georgia is going to be able to pull off this upset after they've already pulled off one upset at home. I just don't think they're a very good basketball team. I think that Arkansas is a really good basketball team. I think that it's probably going to be a 20-point game where Arkansas just absolutely runs Georgia at home. But if they're able to beat Arkansas, that paves the way for Auburn to really be in the driver's seat, Auburn and Kentucky. That just about knocks Arkansas out of contention. I mean, they got to really be hoping for other teams to have a pretty bad, pretty bad run at it. Conversely, Alabama, over the next three Saturdays, I feel like, I don't know, if Georgia wins, not all three Saturdays, just two, but they're probably not going to. So Alabama's probably going to be Auburn's friend in that you're probably going to have to root for Alabama because they play Kentucky, Arkansas, Kentucky over the next three Saturdays. I mean, I know I hate Alabama. We talk about it all the time. But I love Auburn more than I hate Alabama. And I would rather see Alabama win games and Auburn win championships than Alabama lose games and Auburn not win championships. Now, that being said, Auburn can win the championship without Alabama winning anything. It just makes it a much easier road to the number one seed in the SEC tournament and a conference championship if they're able to knock off Kentucky one or both times. I don't think they're going to beat Kentucky at Rupp because I just – I don't think Alabama's very good on the road. I mean, that was their best road performance of the season, and they're not going to be able to put that together against Kentucky because we're not their arch rivals. Or they're not Kentucky's yeah, arch Kentucky's, rivals. Yeah, So, yeah, I think we need Arkansas to lose a cheap one, and we need Kentucky to lose one more. Because looking – I mean, me and you were looking ahead at the schedule, and there are still – three what we considered super not super like conceivably losable games that like would not really be a shock to us and you were saying you don't think we'll lose all three I kind of agree with you I don't think we're going to have three losses on the SEC season but looking ahead at the schedule so you've got Georgia this weekend that should be a win I think that Stegman is going to be mostly Auburn fans I think that's going to be a big day for the Auburn basketball program I think it's going to be a I think it may be Tom Crean's last game as a Georgia coach because if they get waxed by Arkansas tonight and then Auburn sells out half of their arena and beats them by 20, that's not a great look for a coach. Anyway, hope he stays. Love that guy. Big Next Tom week, Crean fans here in Auburn. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I'm a huge Tom Crean fan, and I wish that Nate Oates would go to Louisville and they would hire Avery back. Um. I don't think that's going to happen. Hey, maybe the SEC officials will hire Nate Oates because he seems to be more adept at officiating than he does at coaching. 
real quick, just a quick little note. I don't think I've ever seen a coach that spent so much time talking to the refs in timeouts. Like, he literally, he could have spent an extra at least 10 minutes in his huddle that he spent talking to the refs. Like, it, it, it was truly, it was surprising. I was just like, bro, like, at the end of the day, like, coach your team and not complain to the refs. I've never seen a coach that was that that focused on talking to the refs over his own team. But continue. Well, people will say that the foul discrepancy was terrible. It was 30 fouls for uh, Alabama and 18 to Auburn. But I think I would just direct you back to the points in the paint where Auburn had 55 points in the paint and Alabama had 20. They were not attacking the basket. And Bruce used to say that during our Final Four run. Like, we are going to have way more fouls than the other team because we're not attacking the basket. And most of the time, the three-point shooter isn't going to get fouled unless you're Samir Dowdy in the Final Four. Pain. Anyway. You just had to bring that one up, didn't you? I just wanted, you know, we're feeling high right now. I just wanted you to remember that pain Bring us is back always, low. Yeah, pain is always on the horizon. Okay. Speaking of pain, next Tuesday, Auburn at Arkansas. I honestly think that's the toughest game remaining on this schedule. I don't... I mean, Bud Walton Arena is crazy. Mm-hmm. Auburn Arena is a really good arena. Bud Walton Arena has been a really good arena for a really long time. Musselman is a very good coach with a really good team. That That's a tough game to go on the road. That'd be a massive win. I think a win up there at Bud Walton might be the most impressive win of the season, other than potentially beating Kentucky. But, again, winning on the road in the SEC is impressive no matter who it is. If you go beat a good team on the road, I mean, hats off to you. So that that circle that game is just a huge game that if you lose, it's not hurting your NCAA tournament chances at all. That's a, that is a quality team to lose to. Come back, you got Texas A&M at home. They've kind of fallen apart as the season's gone on. You have Vanderbilt at home. That, I mean, obviously they win on the road more than any other team, but they've got one player, and I think that Walker Kessler's going to have a block party against him. You go on the road to Florida. That was a much more concerning game before they lost every single person over the 6-7. So I think that's a good matchup. Old Miss, if you think that those Auburn players are not going to remember that Old Miss game up there and not want to work for that, that's going to get ugly. On the road at Tennessee, similar to Arkansas in the fact that they have a tremendous home record, tremendous home environment. I think that this could potentially be the first time Bruce gets knocked off by Tennessee at all, you know, since he's been at Auburn. But again, he's he typically has Rick Barnes number, so let's hope for a win there. Mississippi State on the road, that's our final one that we kind of said is a tough matchup. Uh Garrison Brooks going against his own old teammate Walker Kessler, but I mean, Mississippi State in all honesty is very similar to Alabama. They just have Garrison Brooks. And I think this team loves personal beef. Like, Mm -hmm. when somebody's beefing with somebody on this team, the whole team joins in and gets really ticked off. If you think that Walker Kessler is just going to be, oh, Humpty Dum, I'm I'm excited to see Garrison again, who was playing over me at North Carolina, uh uh-uh. I think... That's going to be a very, very tense game 
I could see a couple of technicals getting assessed there. Also, who saw Allen getting the first technical for a non-taunting, like, actual, like, double tech with somebody? I 100% would have put my money on Dylan, KD, Jabbar, anyone other than Allen. It was, it was kind of a weird one, too, because it was like, he wasn't really doing that. Like, he wasn't even the main instigator from Auburn's team. I mean, it was, you know, Wendell and Shackelford were going at each other. Wendell was going after all the guards. He, he I mean, he was, he was taunting a ton. And you saw a little bit with the him and Shackelford kind of going, going toe-to-toe on other ends. And you saw that. And it kind of looked like Allen was breaking it up. And then he got teed up for it. But I, I do agree. It's kind of like nobody would have thought that Allen would ever get attacked for something that wasn't just screaming at somebody or, you know, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, and there was another, I, I mean, you were at the game, but on TV, when uh, Quinterly fouled KD, you literally hear him as he's like on the ground. He's like, was that you? He was like, ah, that's three on you. You in foul trouble. And he was like, no, nah, man, I didn't foul you. And the rest were like, hmm, you're the only guy in the area. You, you definitely got that foul. So a lot of jawing going on that was even seen on TV. Well, anyway, another thing that I think they showed uh, toward the end there when it was like it was toward the end of the game, and I think Jabari was right on Quinterly, and he kind of he kind of swiped the ball out of his hands, and you kind of they kind of showed him on the jumbotron, and you know it was obvious that Auburn was going to win the game at that point. You can just kind of read his lips, and you just said, "See you later, bud," and it was you know it felt good because you know I don't know. I always like to see Auburn be disrespectful towards Alabama. That's just my thing. But, but yeah, so continue. Then you finish the, the season off with South Carolina at home. Hopefully there's an SEC championship regular season party after that game. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, t- some tough games ahead, but not super difficult. You know, I mean, you've – You've gotten your Kentucky game out of the way. You've gotten your two Bama games out of the way. And Florida is kind of limping into the end of the season. So things are shaping up really well for a regular season title for Auburn and potentially an SEC tournament title. You just, I mean, you never know till you see the bracket and, you know, who's going to be where. But yeah, really exciting things happening on the basketball front. Yeah. And you look at it so. Yeah, you know, so you're gonna look at the uh, at the the schedule, and Florida. For those who don't know, Colin Castleton, in all likelihood, will miss the rest of the season after having a shoulder injury. Uh, Jason Jitabo, who's the backup center, who is that massive guy. I mean, he is one of the largest humans I've ever seen in my life. He had eye surgery, so he's done for the season. So they have one guy on the actual, you know someone that actually plays a little bit of minutes, they have one guy who is over 6'7", and he doesn't start. And he's also 175 pounds. Like, he's not doing anything. He's not going to slow down Walker. He's not going to slow down Jabari. The front court is going to have an absolute field day against Florida. I mean, assuming they don't get into ticky-tack foul trouble, we will absolutely run Florida because there are some games that you just look at and you, there, there's a limit to how well you can play. And you saw it against Alabama. The reason Walker was so disruptive and so good is because they have one guy that is even somewhat close to his height, and Walker was dominating that matchup too. So it wasn't even like when Betty Yako was in the game, it was like an even match. No, Walker was dominating Betty Yako just because he's better at basketball than he is. 
And then when you put the guys that are six eight on Walker, he was dominating them too. It's going to be the same thing against Florida. And I mean, assuming if Walker does not get into foul trouble, he will have one of his best games of the season against Florida. Not not worried about that one. Um, and then you you know we obviously we talked about Arkansas, talked about Tennessee, and the thing with Tennessee is, you know, you mentioned it with the you know everyone's got beef with everyone, you know. If one guy has beef, everyone's got beef. And you talked about with Mississippi State. Yeah, you've got Walker. You also have the whole Garrison Brooks with Auburn. You know, the whole, that whole situation. And our, our guys, like, even though they didn't really experience that, they're going to know that it happened. And with how they loved the fans and everything, they're going to be like, okay, we're going to take it personal for them too. And I think that for that Tennessee game, like, Bruce, Bruce, I think – Bruce loves beating Kentucky, loves beating Alabama. I think that if Bruce could pick, if you take Kentucky, Alabama, and Tennessee every year, and if we played them once, only one time every year, and you gave Bruce the choice of one game to win, I personally think he's picking Tennessee every time. Like, he does not like losing to Tennessee. And you always see Auburn teams always play really well against Tennessee. Like, it, even the even the years that we're kind of having down years when we're in a slump, if we have a bad first half, they'll come out second half with their tails on fire. I mean, it, we we play well against Tennessee, and obviously it's going to be tough on the road, but I think that this team is going to be a different focus, and I think they're going to treat this game like it is a huge, huge rivalry game. I mean, they're going to they're gonna be on fire for that one. So that's kind of why I'm not really – not as worried about the Tennessee and the Mississippi State games, even though they are very good teams that could beat Auburn. And they're not bad losses per se. But if you look at it, it's like I just think that our guys are going to be so ticked off and so ultra-focused for that game. I don't see us losing it. Arkansas, I could see us losing it. I would not. I mean, as long as the game is competitive, I wouldn't really be worried with a loss. And so Auburn, I mean, in all likelihood, Auburn will win the SEC. I don't see Kentucky winning out, honestly. I think they'll drop at least one. It could be to Alabama. I mean, you know, it could be. I mean, they've got Vanderbilt, Alabama, South Carolina, Florida, Tennessee, Alabama, LSU, Arkansas, Ole Miss, and Florida. So they don't have an easy schedule at all. They have to play Arkansas and Bud Walton. They have LSU at home, Alabama at home, Alabama and Coleman, Tennessee on the road. They have a tough schedule. They're going to drop at least one. So now all of a sudden you're looking at it, okay, Auburn can lose all three of the games that are the tough games that, you know, aren't necessarily bad losses and still at least have a share of the regular season and get the one seed in the SEC tournament, with, assuming Kentucky drops one of the games in their gauntlet. If they don't, or if Kentucky drops one and Auburn drops just one as well, drops that Arkansas game, win the regular season, number one seed in the tournament. And then all of a sudden you look at it and you start thinking about seeding for the SEC tournament. So we are just kind of, obviously, you know, this doesn't have to be mathematically sound with what it is right now, but just kind of pick, just kind of where the areas that they are, got teams that you would play game one, game two, game three, et cetera. What would your ideal SEC tournament slate be? So like you got to play, you know, someone game one, game two, game three. If you could pick, realistically pick, teams that you would see in that area who would you pick for Auburn's SEC tournament uh drawing okay so I think to, I'm correct in saying the two 
the two worst teams don't make it, right? That's the – or is that just in baseball? Everybody makes it's it, but they have Every, to start playing. Yeah, so everyone early. makes it in basketball. The bottom four have to play the first day. So the right. bottom four play, and then they play into the second round, and then uh, Auburn, as a one seed, would have a double bye. Yeah, so that starts on Tuesday, and then Auburn would play Thursday, Thursday Friday, Saturday. No. Auburn would play in the – they wouldn't start in the semifinal, though, would they? No. You start in the quarterfinal. quarterfinal. Okay. So, realistically, I think South Carolina is going to make some noise. I think that we match up very well against South Carolina. I would love to play South Carolina again. Just as a as a bottom-seeded team that I think could make some noise, I think South Carolina is one to watch. I also think that they could move up a little bit in the SEC rankings here. Because they're sit- – so there's – you kind of got three, maybe four levels. So you have the, the Auburn, Kentucky, Tennessee, and Arkansas level. Those are kind of your competitive teams to – Win the win the conference. I don't think that Tennessee. I know that Tennessee's record is there right now, but just in watching them play, I don't have the confidence in them winning out through the rest of the season. Like Arkansas has the talent to potentially do it, which is why I'm rooting for teams to beat them. Mm-hmm. Tennessee, Tennessee has gotten really lucky in a lot of games and have been able to win those games. I don't think they're going to win this SEC. Um, but with that being said, I think South Carolina, they're kind of in that middle tier with Mississippi State, LSU, Texas A&M, and Bama. And then you have the down, the down people, which is Florida now that, you know, they're missing their bigs. Vanderbilt, because they have one player. Uh, Ole Miss. Ole Miss. Ole Miss and Missouri are the weirdest teams to me. Like, they can easily get beat by 30 or they can upset your team. But I don't see them going and being one of those beat you by 30 teams on a neutral on a neutral court. I don't think they make it to win Auburn's playing. And then Georgia's definitely not making it to win Auburn's playing. So I think a South Carolina and see the tough thing about this is that three of the teams that are also a possibility we haven't played yet. We haven't played the Tennessee, the Arkansas, or the Mississippi State. I think South Carolina and LSU would be my ideal two teams going in to what is most likely going to be an Auburn-Kentucky SEC championship. I think that we match up well against those teams. I think the only teams that I really would prefer to not have to play, I'd prefer to not have to play Kentucky till the championship game. And depending on how that Arkansas game goes, that's really the only team. That's the only team in the SEC that has a big man that can compete with our front court and that has guards that are better than ours. I think Kentucky's more talented in their starting five than Auburn is. Yeah, I, I just, agree with that. But Auburn's, I think Auburn's top nine is better than Kentucky's top nine by a fairly right. wide margin. But I think Kentucky's starting five is more talented than Auburn's starting five. And I think that if you play them in the championship game, 
having a starting nine that's better is a whole lot better than having a starting five that's better, which is why playing Kentucky in the SEC championship game is ideal, in my opinion. Yeah, and I I agree with that. I think that, in my opinion, the ideal situation, I think that a Texas A&M or a South Carolina-type team, or potentially LSU, honestly, is a team that we could play first game or quarterfinal game. My my dream scenario would be if LSU could make up some ground because honestly, if all, like if you take out Auburn completely from the SEC, it is one of the most competitive conferences in America for who's going to win right now. Because w- without Auburn, I mean Auburn's you know two and a half games in front of number two. You got Kentucky at six and two in the conference. Tennessee is six and three. Mississippi State and Arkansas are five and three. Alabama, LSU, South Carolina, and Texas A&M are four and five. So all of a sudden, it's like it's it's really close. So it's really worth monitoring because of seeding. And if LSU could somehow sneak into that that uh that four spot, you know, because so for those who don't know, it would be Auburn as number one, and we would play. You know, assuming that assuming that the highest seeded team won every single game we would play the four seed in the semifinals and play the two seed in the championship. So if we don't have to play Kentucky until the championship, that's ideal. If we could play LSU as the four seed instead of having a Tennessee or an Arkansas as the four seed, that would be ideal. And if we could play a Texas A&M or a South Carolina in our quarterfinal game, I think that's ideal. So my best case scenario would be South Carolina for our first game, LSU for our second, and Kentucky for our third. So that's that's kind of where I'm where I'm at with the uh, with the SEC tournament. Yeah, I mean, I'm excited for the next few weeks because we finally kind of round out all the teams and we really know where we stand. Mm-hmm. Because right now, I mean, we know how, where we stand against the teams we've played. We just hadn't played, you know, half the league. Well, not half the league, but you know what I'm saying. I mean, yeah. a lot of the top end teams in the league haven't played us, but that's honestly probably why they're in the top end of the league. It's because all the teams that we beat kind of tend to start falling away because it's a critical loss. Well, yeah, and Tennessee is one of those teams that, you know, we were kind of you were kind of talking about getting lucky, but, like, their schedule is not fit. I mean, they still have to go – they still have to play Kentucky at home. They have to go to Arkansas. They have to go to Mississippi State. They have to host Auburn, like, and then they host Arkansas, so that's like, okay, that's legitimately five games that you like you could lose and people wouldn't be surprised. So all of a sudden, I mean, Tennessee could end up with eight conference losses. So, you know, obviously that would be kind of a train wreck by Tennessee to close out the season, but you know what I'm saying? And that's the thing is that a lot of the top teams have either played Auburn and lost or they haven't played Auburn yet, so – That'll be a big thing to just kind of see how seeding is. But I think this is something to watch very closely uh, and just kind of watch how the SEC stacks up uh, stacks up as a whole. But I feel like that kind of wraps up our basketball talk for this podcast. Obviously, we'll be back next week with more basketball content. But now, kind of switching our focus, switching our lens to the gridiron, got, you know, it's a uh, it's been an interesting week. It's been an interesting week. Uh, Wheeler's got a, a face palm going on right now. It has not been an ideal week for the Auburn basketball program. Or for the Auburn football, football program. Football. football. Come on, football. man. Basketball's been great. Football's been, football's been a little rough. Since we last 
since we were last year. Really, the only thing that has happened per se, as uh, officially right now, obviously there are more guys that are going to enter the portal this week, expectedly. But the biggest thing that has happened has been Austin Davis leaving the program, and the the things the issue is. The no news is not good news in this scenario because Auburn hits signing day and in all likelihood isn't going to sign anybody. And if we do, it's not the guys that we really wanted. So signing day was kind of a massive flop. It's okay. That is okay because our early signing period was good. And I, you know, I'm going to let you go and I'll kind of, I'll kind of break down just kind of a perspective outlook of. to note is obviously Austin Davis, the offensive coordinator that retired about a month ago, leaving. So we either just kind of just kind of go. I mean, just kind of give us your thoughts on the whole situation and just kind of what your thoughts are about the offensive and defensive coordinators both leaving the program uh, in January. So I think that Brian Harson is doing – himself a terrible favor he is literally putting himself on the hot seat and the reason i say that is he has done nothing and i mean nothing as a pr move for himself he hasn't talked to the media he finally at the senior bowl did like a four minute interview but that's all he's done so I don't, I don't know if he's just used to, you know, people not caring during the offseason. But, and I don't necessarily know that the football program is crumbling around Harson like everybody's perception seems to be. But the perception's not great, and he's not doing anything to change that. So, not to, you know, get stuck on basketball. Back when Auburn was bad at basketball, Bruce Pearl was going on Mike and Mike in the morning when it was a thing and throwing it on an Auburn football helmet and throwing toilet paper up in the air. He was going into classrooms and talking to people and doing dunk tanks. Harson has ghosted. So he's got this all ball, no, you know, talk to the community mentality. But the community's going to fire him. If, like, if you go all in on the football and things start looking really bad, like, that's how you get fired really quick. Um, the Derek Mason situation, I I don't blame Harson necessarily. I mean, it sounds like basically after the Mississippi State game, Harson and Mason had a, you know, a quote conversation. Yeah, I'm sure, you know, Brian just seems like the most chill dude and used I statements and fought fair just like they teach you how to do it, every relationship, TED Talk. No. He probably dog cussed the guy out because they had a chance to win the SEC and he gave up a 30 point lead in the second half. And Derek, you know, is probably a little bit of a prideful person as a former SEC head coach and probably didn't take too kindly to that. So, I mean, do I blame Harson? No. I mean, Derek absolutely goofed in that game. Do I, I mean, I, I don't understand why they didn't part ways earlier. I don't understand why Derek thought he should stay until like, two weeks before signing day and then lie to the entire football team and, you know, have a team meeting brought together and say, Oh, it's, it's not y'all. It's not another job. I just need time for my family. And then goes and takes the Oklahoma state job. Like 
just weird moves out of him. You know, it didn't seem like it was on brand for what the, the, what kind of guy he normally was. So, I don't. I mean, I don't think that that's a terrible thing. I think getting rid of Mike Bobo, he wasn't a very good coach. I mean, he he wasn't getting the job done. You everybody wanted him fired, and the thing is, before the Alabama game, everybody wanted Derek Mason fired. Then Derek Mason leaves, and everybody says Harson doesn't know what he's doing, and he's ruining the football program. And I'm like. Y'all literally called during the South Carolina game, during the uh, Mississippi State game, during the Georgia game, during all these games. We got to fire Mason. I don't like him. I don't like the the defense he's running. He goes away. Oh, what are we going to do without him? Come on. Like, seriously. Now, it is troubling. And, I mean, we talked about this last time. Jeff Schmetting could be good. It just – it's a bad perception because they do not do anything – I mean, they do no public relations stuff. No one knows who Jeff Schmetting is, you know? People knew who Kevin Steele was. People knew who Will Muschamp was. People like to know who the coordinators are because the reason everybody thinks that commentators on TV would make the best coaches is because they're out in public and they just say something halfway intelligent and everybody's like, oh my gosh, he's so smart at defense. He, oh, he'd be a great head coach. Look, have a football club meeting and just use some big words about zero fire zone and this is how we defend this and throw some highlights of when the defense worked and everybody's going to think you're a genius. But no, they burrow away. You never hear from him. All you know is that he's this real quiet guy that has no interviews on the internet and is not doing any press releases now. Okay, that, and that, that's not good for your program. Austin Davis coming in. Another one that I really I don't understand. Everybody was concerned he couldn't recruit. And, oh, we need to get somebody that can recruit. Harson's just going to call plays. I don't like Harson calling plays. He decides that he's going to leave for personal reasons, which you you can't blame Brian Harson for this dude flipping out in his, you know, head and whatever. I mean, there's all the different rumors going on of what potentially happened. And I'm it, at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter. I don't think that Austin Davis arrived back at Auburn from vacation and was sitting in his office overlooking the practice field and saw Robbie Ashford and Zach Calzada thrown to Shedrick Jackson and thought, good gosh, they're so bad, I'm leaving. Like, <laughs> that's what some people are saying is, oh, he saw what he was working with and he just decided to dip. No, like, I think he genuinely has personal things going on in his life and being a college football coach was not going to be the best for his long-term like real life, not football life. So he took the L and made himself look completely unprofessional and left Harson out to dry. That's not Harson's fault. But again, Brian didn't say anything. He, he doesn't say anything. He doesn't make you want to feel bad for him. He's just the big bad guy with a retro Auburn, you know, sweater that you see when he's watching the team work out. And he's got big muscles and a scary haircut and is potentially a Scientologist. I mean, he's a PR nightmare. That's the problem here. He doesn't market himself at all. He doesn't market the team. He doesn't come out and say, hey, I couldn't have seen this coming. You know that if one of Bruce's assistants had to step away back in the day, he would have been like, we're praying for him. You know, family's really important. And everybody's going to be like, yes, it is. Very good. Like, go step away. When Gus's uh, daughter was in the hospital and he left the UCF, everybody's like, 
oh, praying for Gus's daughter. Nobody's saying, I can't believe you're not watching film right now. You know, like, yeah. say something. Do something. When you do this whole secret side, this whole secret thing, everybody thinks that the program is collapsing. And then when everybody thinks the program's collapsing, anything that happens makes it seem like that. Look, Javaris Johnson transferred from as a receiver. And everybody said, oh, my gosh, the hits just keep coming. Guys, he played like five plays last year. He, I mean, he probably, he might have been needed this year for depth, but also it's like people are saying that the sky is falling because of his PR nightmare. He is terrible. Do you know people love Lane Kiffin? Because Lane Kiffin goes on Twitter, and when there's a weird video of Brian Kelly like grinding on a recruit on a spinny thing and doing like guns over his eyes, he's like, did you get hacked? Like, he's a person. Meanwhile, Brian's like, when I was a Navy SEAL, I felt the blood spilling out of my leg, and I knew that that's when I should work out harder. <sighs> yeah, well, that's not real warm and fuzzy. Nobody's like, oh, yeah, I want to go play for the guy that if I drop the bench and crush my chest, Brian's going to be like, yes, welcome to the family of pain. Like, stop. Just stop being creepy. BPR, go out, go eat some Byron's, have some chopped on the block outside meat. Just do something Auburn-like, you know? I mean, he's got to start doing this stuff or he's in hot water. He's going to find himself getting fired earlier than he wants to. And, and you can see you can see that he is trying, but the issue is, and the problem is, he didn't really have to do this at Boise. Because at Boise, it's like, okay, he took over a program that was already established. He steered the ship in the right direction and nothing fell apart. And that's why I'm just, it's like, he, he, he built, like, his program was really good at Boise. But he didn't really have to do anything because he was good. And it's like, at the end of the day, you don't have to do that much at Auburn if you're good. Like, it doesn't matter where you are. If you're good enough, you don't have to do anything. And Nick Saban, he still does PR stuff because it's the right thing to do and it's how you run a program. But, like, he doesn't have to. If Nick Saban was just a recluse and never left his house, people wouldn't care. Because they're like, okay, we're winning. Like, who cares? The thing is, and you can see he's trying. I think it was the – maybe it was the Kentucky game. He – for basketball, for basketball. He is in the student section, and he's, you know, rah, rah, go over. But it's like you look at him and you're like, bro, like, it's weird. It's uncomfortable. He comes out and he – like, for the Oklahoma game, he was throwing biscuits at people. He does nothing. He smiles. He claps. And he – moves his finger up and down because he knows that it's like a Twitter thing, but I don't think he really knows what Twitter is, honestly. But it's like, he, he doesn't, the thing, he is so, he is the least charismatic person I've ever seen. And when he tries to be charismatic, it's painful. And he tried to, be, like, he even tried to become a meme. Like, you saw that when Bruce Pearl ripped his shirt off and was flexing and everyone's like, oh, shirtless Bruce and the boys, it's a big thing. Jalen Simpson has his, you know, Sun like his big sunglasses on. Brian Harson put them on and was shaking the shaker, and he looked so visibly uncomfortable that nobody nobody really cared, and nobody made a meme out of it because everyone felt so weird that it happened. They were like, "We don't want to harp on that because it was weird, and it made us feel weird." Brian Harson, the the issue is, and it, it's like, yeah, like he looks like he just wants to be in the gym all the time, and he wants to just watch football all the time. He wants to do nothing else, and it's like, okay. That's fine if you're winning, but when you're not winning 
and you're only focused on X's and O's and people are transferring and things are happening. It's like, okay, like you said, you got to talk to people. You have to make things sound better than they are. And that's and the, the thing is, I, I don't think that his love of football and his need for the community have to be at odds. Yeah. He doesn't have to be Bruce where he's a meme. He is everywhere in the community. He owns a house on Lake Martin and all of the players go in tube there. Like you don't need to change your personality. If you love just football and the working out and all that stuff, harp on that, but do stuff with people to do like host some events, go to some quarterback clubs that are not just for high school coaches. Like have some fan events or like do a YouTube series of like, you know, the film room with Brian Harson where you can be all about the ball. Because when he talks in his press conferences, he says the right, like, you said he's not charismatic. He's not like a energy like that guy. But when he goes in a press conference, he does great. Like, yeah. when he starts talking about football, he is very convincing about what he's saying, and he clearly knows a ton about football. And I think that he can be part of the Auburn community and be all about the football and not have to be the biscuit throwing, smiling, all that. You know, like, you need to do that. You need to become a little bit more comfortable doing that. But I'm not going to blame him that he's never done that before. And the first time he does it, like, he doesn't know what to do. Because also, when he went out there with the meme t-shirt, like, nobody knew what was going on. Like, the students are all sleep deprived. They've just spent the night outside. And he's literally walking into the middle of Woodstock. And he's like, Cruton but also not signing anybody on signing day. So like there's no excitement behind that because there's nothing happening with that right now. If he does that back in January when the early signing period is and everybody's high on it, everybody gets hype about it. When everybody reads, oh, Jack Pyburn got offered by Florida, he's about to throw up the deuces. Oh, Trevante Citizen's about to end up at Miami who hasn't even been recruiting him this whole time as opposed to us who have been in on him for a year. Like, nobody's like, oh, yeah, let's go. Come on, go to Demopolis and pick up the three-star, you know, lineman that's getting looked at by Southern Miss and East Mississippi Community College. Like, no, that's not exciting. Do do stuff that is you, but still be personable, you know? And another thing, it's like Bruce Pearl, and, and obviously we always look at Bruce Pearl, and it's an unfair comparison. It really is because Bruce is one of the most care. Like he's done it everywhere. He's super charismatic. He's great. But when you saw when he was getting into Auburn, like when he was getting in, he was always talking. He was always doing stuff. He was always saying stuff, and he still does that. But like, there's this video last night goes to Little Italy, and the the line is pretty much backed out the door. Everyone loses their mind. They're cheering. They make a tunnel for him. He walks through the tunnel and he puts his hands up and he's like, yeah, 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 yeah. That's all he says. He doesn't really say anything. That's what Brian Harson did. Brian Harson walked through the line, literally walked through the line for the Kentucky game. And I don't think he said a single word. I think he smiled. I think he was like, yeah, he, was giving, he gave everyone high fives, but it was like, he didn't say anything. He just walked straight through and then kind of left. And it was like, oh, it was like no one really knew what was happening. No one could see. And they're like, oh my gosh, it's Brian Orson. He just walked past me, gave me a high five. But it's like he didn't say like didn't say anything. He just kind of he just kind of walked through. And it's it's essentially like he he's 
he's acting almost like in the the few PR things he does. It's almost like like you said, it's almost like he's riding the wave, but the wave isn't there, and it's almost like the wave crashed, and he just it's kind of walking in the water trying to ride the wave that has already crashed, and so when the when a new wave comes up, that's when you got to capitalize, and that's when some of Bruce's most known PR things were is when the way, when we were riding the wave, when it was the SEC regular season, when it was the SEC tournament, when it was the final four, like, or the one and done's like, that's when you ride the wave, but there's just no wave right now. And the issue is it's tough to make a wave in the off season. It's much easier when it's, when you have the early signing period or when you have games that you're actually playing, it's much easier to ride the wave then compared to the signing period where it's just been a flop. And that's what I'm saying of you got to start doing some events that are not just people fawning all over you because Bruce, before Bruce was good, he wasn't just showing up at Little Italy and hoping that the people made a tunnel for him. Yeah. You know, like he was doing stuff, like took the band to a thing, played the music in front of the whole class and was like, we need y'all. Like all this stuff. He didn't say, hey, y'all just cheer for me because. I don't know. I just lost half of my games, you yeah. know? And so it's like Brian's trying to do what Bruce is doing right now and not what Bruce did when they were bad. And we're bad right now in football. Like record-wise, last season was bad. So you got to create your own energy. You can't just ride the energy because if you're riding the energy, it's like you said, there, there's none. Like six and seven losing to a group of five team and then not signing anybody on national signing day is not good energy to be riding. Not at all. But you got to go create some new energy, even if it's not with the actual, like, that's what I'm saying. If he would just do some events and just show people that, like, he's competent as a coach, people would be so much more okay with the fact that we don't have an offensive coordinator right now. Because, honestly, I mean, Trevante Citizen probably wasn't coming to Auburn. Like even if even if Austin Davis was still the offensive coordinator, Trevante's probably not signing with Auburn. Like it's been known for about two weeks he's not coming. Jack Pyburn, he was gonna probably sign with Auburn till Florida offered him. He didn't see that Austin Davis got fired, and he's like, "Oh man, it's a train wreck over there." Like nothing that happened today was the result of Austin Davis leaving. So that was not like a huge problem. And the guys in 2023, you at least have a relationship with them, and then they're going to look at what it's like on the field this year. They're not going to remember back in January that Auburn didn't have an offensive coordinator. They're going to say, oh, is the offense good this year? Do I like the offense that they're playing in? Like, it's not all lost. Now, if a bunch of the guys start transferring out, that's going to be a big problem. But, you know, the name that's kind of keep coming up is Xavion Capers. And, I mean, yes, we need depth. But everybody says you need this depth. These guys didn't play. Like, they were on the bench. They played as much as Tommy Neesmith did. I mean, maybe Xavion played a little bit more when they played him against Georgia State because that's who TJ was used to throwing to. But, like, when was it a big game that we were like, oh, bring in Xavion. Oh, we threw it to Xavion. Like, it didn't happen. He wasn't like a depth piece that played. This is the equivalent of... Preston Cook leaving. Like, yeah, he came into the game when it was a blowout. 
made a nice little basket, you know? I mean, or if Leor Berman left. Like, yeah, he shoots pretty well from three. I mean, John Rothstein loves to point out that he's a big-time field goal shooter. Big-time 50% from three guy. <laughs> you know? But, like, yeah, nobody's watching the game and like, oh, man, we would have won that if Leor were here. I, I don't think anybody's watching saying, oh, we would have we won if Xavion had not transferred. So, like, I see where people are coming from, but I really just think that this is a horrendous, PR move by Harson. And the thing is, he's he can be good at it. Like everyone that comes on the recruiting visits say that they're great. Like people love apparently he's super innovative with his recruiting visits. He did the NFL draft thing for the early signing period. Like they have people in the athletic department that can come up with ideas. They're just not doing anything public. So it's not like people, you know, need to send in ideas. I'm sure they can figure something out. Even if he, just imagine, can you imagine how fun it would be and how many people would come if they did like uh, a film session with Coach Harson in Jordan-Hare in the spring? So after A-Day, they let all the fans out onto the field, picnic blankets, people bring their food, you have food vendors there, and up on the big Jumbotron, they're breaking down film of whatever, a game last year that we won. Do you know how fun that would be and how many people would love that and how it would make him look so much smarter and like likable? And then after the game, he shakes hands with people. That would be awesome. Like so many people would enjoy that. And I understand they tried to do the like carnival thing before the practice last year and COVID canceled it. So I understand that COVID's canceled a couple of things, but like you kind of need to just... <laughs> Push the limits on COVID here, Brian, because if you don't, you're going to be gone before COVID is. Yeah. So, and and my... another thing, and another thing, it's like you look at it and you're like, okay, like Auburn selling out Auburn Arena night in and night out in multiple different sports, and there's not a single single fan with a mask on, and that just signifies Auburn University. They have the mask mandate in the university buildings for one reason and one reason only. They want that federal money. They don't care. Like, they don't even have people, like, it's not even at the door. Like, if you walk in the door, they don't even tell you to put a mask on. Like, they don't care about the whole mask thing. So, but just to just to add into that, and just kind of what you said with the whole with the whole Xavion thing, it's like, yeah, people aren't going to say, like, if he transferred, people aren't going to be like, well, we would have won that game if Xavion was still here. But my thing is, everyone's losing their mind, and, and truly losing their minds, about the transfers. And it's like, okay, look at the defensive line. Look at the defensive line. That has been where we have the, had the most transfers by far, okay? You lost Romello Height. Yeah, that, yeah, Romello Height's a good player. He was also suspended half the season, okay? J.J. Pegues, rotational defensive player, was never going to start at Auburn, ever. He was never going to start. Marquise Robinson. He played, I think he, I think he appeared in one game. Yeah, he was a four-star out of high school, but he appeared in one game. Lee Hunter did not appear in any games. Or if he did, he didn't record a stat. So, I think he played in a couple games, but he didn't record a stat. Okay, if you don't record a stat, like, you didn't do, you didn't really do anything. And you look at it, you've had other guys, especially on that defensive line that have transferred, and you're like, okay, you look at it, we haven't lost anybody. If you look at the defense, we have lost... To the to the transfer portal, 
We've lost Romello Height, who was very iffy on if he was even playing this season. You also Darius Tennyson, who was not a starter before Zion Puckett got hurt. Is he a good player? Absolutely. But he didn't start. And you look at who we brought in, and you're like, okay, we brought Jason Jones and Jeffrey Emba. Both of those guys individually played more this past season. Whether you look at Emba in Juco or Jones at Oregon, they played arguably more, just as much or more than all of the other transfers in the defensive line room combined. And you're like, okay, we haven't lost that much from the defensive line. We, our defensive line will be better this season than it was last season. There's no doubt in my mind. We still have depth in that position. We're fine in that position. Defense, we're fine. And if if the sky was falling like everyone thinks it was, these guys that have announced, yeah, like, oh, I'm coming back for another year. It's not too late to say, you know what? Never mind. I'm not coming back for another year. I've already graduated. I'm just going to join the workforce and be done with college football because this is an absolute train wreck and I don't want to play for these guys. That's not happening. Nick Brahms, Brandon Council, Austin Troxel, they're still showing up every day. All the guys on the defense that came back, they're still showing up. Derek Hall's getting painted up for the Auburn-Alabama game. Like, the, the, the players that are in the program are not like, oh, my gosh, what is happening? What, I, I got to get out. Like, the players that do not play are the ones saying, hmm, maybe I'm going to leave because I'm not playing. And I'm starting to see in workouts, I don't think I'm going to play. But the guys that are actually contributing, they're all like, man, love what Harson's building. We're going to be better next year than what people think. Their spirits are high, and I'm just like – I I look at that more than anything else. I I truly don't care. When Marquise Robinson enters the portal, I'm like, okay, see ya. You know, Javaris Johnson's going to enter the portal. Okay, see ya. It's just like when Kobe Hudson entered the portal, that was like, okay, let's look let's look in that a little bit because that was a contributor. When guys that don't contribute enter the portal, it really does. It's really no skin off my back. I really don't care. But you look at it, and you're just like, the guys that actually are doing things are still bought in. They're still, you know, caring and everything. And I, I think we're going to be fine next year. I, I think record-wise, I definitely think we'll be better. I, I, don't, I don't think it's outside the realm of possibility that we win nine games next season. I really don't. And if you've listened to this podcast, you know I'm a pessimist. You know I am. I, Wheeler is the sunshine pumper, and I'm trying to bring him down to earth. But I'm telling you guys, if we win seven games we'll have a we'll have a couple close losses we're going to be a decent football program now you do hate it for a guy like zach calzada he got i mean zach calzada and robbie ashford got screwed i mean this situation was horrible for them because one of the biggest reasons they picked auburn as their transfer destination was because they're like okay new oc nfl experience he's going to mold me into an nfl quarterback i'm going to go there and then you know, two weeks or three weeks after you get there, he's like, all right, personal reasons, I'm out. And it's too late. You're already in classes. You can't transfer anywhere else. That's tough. I mean, that, 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 that's tough. And you hate it for him. You really do. That's not ideal. But, but at that's the same not, time, you can't put that on Harson. And people were exactly. putting it on Harson like he's hard to work with. And he might be hard to work with, but you can't say that Austin Davis left because he was hard to work with. Yeah. And it's not like Pete Carroll is a super, easy guy to work like he's he's like he's shown us in the past like he's not an easy guy to work with but he's a good coach and he he teaches people stuff and the thing is 
people being like, oh, Harson's so hard to work with. Okay, then why are all these Boise people like his guys? And they are loyal, like they are loyal to him. Like he's got guys in his corner. He has players in his corner. Like Colby Wooden and Derek Hall, if they did not believe in Auburn football, they're not coming back. They're going to the NFL and they're getting paid. If Tank Bigsby, like we talk about Tank Bigsby, but it's like, if he doesn't believe in this, if he doesn't believe in the coaching staff, he would have left. He wanted to leave anyway. Like they had the, they had, he had a one-on-one conversation with Harson, and he's like, okay, I'm going to decide to stay. Like we talk about it. Like the program is falling apart because we're losing Marquise Robinson and Lee Hunter and Javaris Johnson or Kobe Hudson or Austin Davis or Derek Mason. Like none of these names are that big. Like, Look at who we've kept. We've kept Tank Bixby. We've kept Colby Wooden. We kept Derek Call. We kept most of the offensive line. And that was a position that people were really worried about and having that experience. Yeah, they're not exactly great, but like the experience is helpful. And our recruiting class is not bad. So you just look at it and you're like, why is everyone losing their minds like they are when what we are keeping is infinitely more talented and more beneficial than what we've lost? And I think that if you kind of just step back and look at it from that perspective, you will realize that, yes, Auburn has had a ton of people leaving. We have people coming in, and we will be okay. Now, if we start having starters leave left and right, that's a problem. But we don't have that. And until we have that, I'm not, I'm not super worried. And this, uh, just another reason he needs to do these big PR things the writers at Auburn do not like him. Like, that's a part of the reason that everybody thinks it's falling apart is because the guys that write for Auburn football do not have – they thought that Gus was restrictive. Brian Harson's been even more restrictive with information. And this is their livelihood. And I understand that, and I don't blame them for – I mean, like, it's frustrating as a fan that there's no news coming out of Auburn until, like, something's done or because Kobe Hudson wants to put it on his Instagram – like – there's no inside information coming out. And so his problem is he's got a couple guys transferring, and these guys don't like him, and so they can kind of frame the program as a whole lot worse than maybe it necessarily is. And so that's why I'm saying he has got to go to the Auburn community himself, and he's got to do big PR events that make people like him. Because if all they're doing is sitting there and reading the stories of people that are ticked off because they can't give good stories. Or, honestly, even if they like the guy just fine, if you don't give the play, you don't allow the players to talk to the guys and they can't do their personal interest stories, they have to write about something. Like, their publications don't just take, oh, you, they don't talk? Okay, well, you don't have to write anything. Like, they have to write something, and all they can write about are the people that leave. Like, he either needs to open it up to the reporters or open it up to the fans because if he keeps it close to both, everybody's going to end up hating him unless he becomes a massive winner. And yeah. I don't know that he has the time to do that. That's what I'm saying. He could buy himself so much time. If he would give just like, just give the writers a cup, a little bit of info. You don't have to give them everything. You can just let the players go out there and build a relationship with the writers so that they can have something to write about that's positive about your program. Like, they had a three-minute interview, and every single Auburn writer wrote about it. About three minutes. Like, 
they are starved for information, and it's so difficult right now for them to write anything. And so he needs to do something to help these writers out because the writers are the lifeblood of how the fans are going to perceive you. Because if everybody's trashing you in the news, no one's going to think you're doing a good job. You have bad results. You're not doing anything in the community other than tossing a few biscuits. And that, like, that's what I'm saying. It needs to be like, he needs to show that he is all in for Auburn and do things, like I said, like the watching film with the fans. Or even if it's not watching film, just like some stuff that makes people like him. Because he is... He's just put himself into this corner where it's easy to paint the picture that Harson is a not likable guy and that all of his coordinators want to leave because he's not a likable guy and all the players want to leave because he's not a likable guy and he's from the group of five and he's not a good coach. Yeah, and it's like – and you look at it and you're like, okay, the people – people aren't going to – like when people look back to that Kentucky game, nobody, and I mean nobody, a, even a year from now, is going to remember and be like, oh, yeah, it was it was it was a long night. We didn't have any sleep. It was freezing. But guess what? Brian Harson came. I gave I gave Brian Harson a high five. It was great. Like no, no one cares about that. People are gonna remember basketball. People are gonna remember every aspect of that night besides Brian Harson giving people a high five. Now, if you say, "Oh, I waited in line at Fan Day for forty five minutes to get Brian Harson's autograph, and I got a picture with him, and he said, "Hey, hey, buddy, War Eagle," like. As a, like, if you're a kid, like you're gonna remember that. Like, I remember I have a like when I was a kid, I had a I had a hat that was signed by every member of the 2010 football team. I thought it was cool. I thought it was a cool thing. But it's like that's something that you're gonna remember. And if if Brian Arson has a little event that is, you go to the event and it's kind of like the whole point of doing it is that you'll meet the coach and you'll be able to see something. Like that's something that you'll remember, and it's something that it's a memory that you'll have about the coach and like what you were saying about the writers, how they pers- like, if they want it, like if they're all in on the coach, a lot of fans are going to be all in on the coach because all they see about the coach is positivity. If all they see about the program is negativity, they're going to be negative. And it's not the writer's fault at all. Like it is their job. Like it is their job to write about the team. And if they don't have anything to write about, they have to write about something like it, it, it's not their fault to just be like, oh, y'all are spreading negativity. No, like, it's their job. And the thing is, most of the writers aren't Auburn fans. Like, guys like Philip Marshall are a little different because they've been covering Auburn for so long, and they are, he is a legitimate Auburn fan. But there are a lot of guys that they're like, they didn't go to Auburn. They got hired to write for Auburn, and that's why they, that's the only reason they write for Auburn is because it, they, it pays the bills. And if they get a better job writing for Georgia, well, they're going to go right for Georgia. They're going to go right for Alabama. They're not going to think twice about it because they're not fans of that team. And think of it from your perspective. Like, we love Auburn, and we're, we're talking about Auburn, and that's why we, we do this. But if I was just hired to just write, you know, write for Vanderbilt, let's say, and I just started writing for Vanderbilt, and I started doing a podcast for Vanderbilt Athletics, I, it wouldn't be the same because I would do what I needed to do to fulfill my job and do that because at the end of the day, I don't care how – I don't even know who their coach is. Like, that was a terrible example because I don't even know who Vanderbilt's head coach is in football. But if you're looking like, – I don't care what Vanderbilt's perception of their program is. I don't care if I'm, quote-unquote, spewing negativity about their program. I'm doing my job. 
Like, I would love to spew positivity. I'd love to be a positive influence. But if he's not going to give me anything positive, I'm going to write about the negative stuff because I'm doing my job. And that's the thing. It's just like, it's, it's very simple fixes. And it's growing pains. But the issue is, when you go six and seven, and then you have to go through the growing pains, you got to grow quick. And it's like you said, he can buy himself some time. He's trying to get there. And we don't know if he'll get there. We'll have to see. But in summary, I think the football program is not in as bad a spot as it seems from the outside. I think we would both agree on that. The issue is the staff doesn't really seem to be doing a ton to make it seem better. But the thing is, because at the end of the day, they don't, they're like, oh, results on the field matter. But it's like, at the end of the day, the fan perception of you and the board's perception of you can buy you another season. And that other season can be the season that gets you more years. And it can be the season that gets you an extension. So it's very important, all of this. I mean, all the stuff that we've been talking about, it's very important. And, I mean, time will tell if Brian Harson and his staff can get it figured out. Side note, just totally off topic, just before we wrap up, since I mentioned Brian Kelly, uh, Danny Lewis, the player that he was dancing with on the rotunda, announced that he uh, has signed with the University of Alabama. So, uh, yeah, that just goes to show you. You don't have to change who you are, because when you're fake, people know. And that's why I think do some PR stuff that's all about the ball, Brian. See? And there you go. But uh, just to close, you know, obviously we'll be back. Uh, we'll be back next week to be discussing. We'll discuss all of the events that have happened uh, in that week. Hopefully there's no more skies falling Auburn football-esque events. Uh, basketball will keep rolling. And obviously we'll have our, our typical breakdown and analysis. But, again, thank you guys so much for listening. It means the world. If you guys have any questions, comments, or concerns, feel free to DM the page. Uh, Thank you again, and War Eagle. War Eagle.